Get ready to rumble. Shilling Show Unleashed on the Seven Thunders Media Network. Former city councilor, husband, father, and community watchdog. Your host, Rob Schilling. Welcome to the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Remember, your direct support makes our show possible, and you can directly support this podcast by visiting shillingshow.com and then clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page to make a monthly contribution. We appreciate your support. Schilling Show Unleashed podcast welcomes Mark Morano, founder and executive director of climatedepot.com, author of many books, including the new one, The Great Reset, Global Elites, and the permanent lockdown. Mark Morano, welcome to the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you. Happy to be here today. Appreciate it. So I think most of us have heard the term the Great Reset, but not everybody knows exactly what we're talking about. So let's start there, Mark. Well, the term the Great Reset comes from the World Economic Forum, founded in 1971 by Klaus Schwab, a sort of a industrialist, capitalist, global player that brings in industry, government all together and colludes, if you will, on how the world should be. But essentially, right when the COVID lockdowns happened in March of 2020, World Economic Forum had had an agenda very similar to what we saw with the lockdowns, where the idea, the great wealth transfers from the poor middle class to the wealthy and the the, essentially the bypassing of democracy because they believe in sort of a technocratic administrative state. So in June of 2020, World Economic Forum out of Davos announced that it was time for a great reset of capitalism where essentially you would owe nothing, you'd be happy, and this was the idea that they would reset it in this rare, narrow window of opportunity given the COVID lockdowns. And this time the emphasis would be on climate change. So in essence, they wanted the world to basically be shut down and they wanted the world to only be reopened under their strict plan for their utopian vision of society. We should talk about, besides Klaus Schwab, who else are the main drivers? Who's pushing this concept behind the scenes or maybe publicly? The key players in this, one of them is actually Prince Charles, who's now (laughs) King Charles III. Prince Charles has been instrumental in bringing this energy policy of deprivation and energy starvation to Europe, and particularly to the UK. He has been a driving force. Bill Gates has been a driving force. Jeff Bezos has been a driving force. All the Fortune 500 company CEOs show up. They are either see opportunity in it or they don't want to be canceled, so they go along with it. But essentially, it's a United Nations Agenda 21, Agenda 2030, Sustainable Development Agenda. It's very similar to what we saw in many ways, the Club of Rome going back. It's very similar to all the same solutions that we've seen over the years. And actually, in the book, go back to Woodrow Wilson to explain that this is that's when the administrative state ideology took hold in the U.S. and it continued through FDR. And if you look at even FDR's kitchen cabinet advisor, you'll see that his 1932 proposal sounds eerily like a green, sorry, well, both a Green New Deal, but actually the Great Reset, because he talks about state control of energy, state control of agriculture, state control of information and propaganda. So this is what they've been after all of these years. 
But essentially, when you turn this on, when you go to a Davos, when you watch a Davos meeting, because you can't go, only approved media who pay $35,000 a person can mm-hmm. show up at an actual Davos meeting. But you will see the heads of all the big pharma, of Moderna, of Pfizer. You will see the heads of most world leaders attending these conferences. You will see the heads of all the Fortune 500 companies. You will see major media moguls there. This is an alliance, essentially, between the United Nations Alliance is also with the World Health Organization. These are global institutions who are trying to remake society, and they've been openly waiting for some kind of opportunity. And the crisis of COVID gave them that opportunity. And the gist of it is they, like, they love these emergency powers. That COVID, Donald Trump in the U.S. signed the U.S. emergency power, been signed in other countries. The idea is we suspend democracy because the threat is so great, and then you just impose what is right on people. And this is very similar to how China is ruled. And so the once free West now is living under one party Chinese style rule. And this is what the World Economic Forum loves, because the last thing they want is any kind of republic or democracy where citizen engagement debates, long drawn out town halls and congressional issues. They want to just impose what they know is right because they believe being experts that they are the smart ones and they can rule the rest of us. Klaus Schwab recently said at a meeting in Davos in May, he said, everyone here in this room talking to all the, you know, the corporate leaders and the government leaders and, the, and the, not just government heads of state, we're talking about cabinet members and the bureaucracy. Klaus Schwab has bragged that half of the cabinet of Justin Trudeau is probably from the Young Leaders Program of the World Economic Forum, as well as Justin Trudeau and the Prime Minister of Netherlands, where they're shutting down up to 12,000 small family-run farms to reach net-zero climate goals. He's a protege. Prime Minister Rood is a, pri- is a protege of the World Economic Forum, the new Prime Minister of England. Uh, who replaced Boris Johnson. She is a, uh, a graduate of this World Economic Forum. So in the words of Klaus Schwab, they penetrate the cabinets. Uh, he has a thick German accent. And this is who the World Economic Forum is. So they have this vision. Now, for decades, we've heard of the New World Order. You've heard of you know, the Council on Foreign Relations. There's all this dark sort of conspiracy. No one paid much attention. But here's the key of the whole book and the whole reason the Great Reset's all over the news now. covid lockdowns, activated, all of that, and put it on a path of accelerated steroids. In other words, back in the 1990s, we could have talked about the new world order and there have been shadowing and conspiracy, but it didn't affect people's lives. Today, you talk about the Great Reset after the COVID lockdowns, and it's affecting your lives. And I can tell people, I'll say, do you want to know what the Great Reset is? Our energy system has been collapsed and we're facing energy shortages. Our food system, they are attempting to collapse right now with the intended goal of making meat rare and expensive and collapsing our high yield agriculture due to climate concerns. They're creating an artificial food shortage. Our transportation system is being shut down because without a vote of anyone, we're being told coming from a Gavin Newsom executive order followed by an unelected, unaccountable board in California, the California Air Relations Board, they are going to stop sale of, the, of gas-powered cars. World Bank has announced they're going to stop funding it. Bank in Australia has announced you're not going to be able to get a car loan if you're buying a gas-powered car because it's not good for the planet. You had no say in that. People have no say. It's just international bureaucrats tied with the World Economic Forum, tied with the United Nations, making these decisions of what's best for us. And then finally, 
You have no free speech. Government is now violating your First Amendment rights under the guise of we're not doing it. This is big tech. They're private companies. And meanwhile, they're writing specifically ban these people, ban this website and big tech. We now have the actual documents showing freedom of information. Yes, we'll do it. This is all in line with even going back to 1932 and Roosevelt's kitchen cabinet advisor, Stuart Chase, exactly what the Great Reset has in mind. And ultimately, the plan is going to be because of all the crises they're creating with food, energy, transportation, the ultimate solution I think we can all see it coming, mm-hmm. is going to be nationalizing energy, nationalizing food production, uh, nationalizing transportation. Like Marie Antoinette said, let them eat cake. Well, it's going to be let them take the city bus when it comes to transportation because also the concept of car ownership is at stake. UK Transportation Secretary announced earlier this year owning a car is outdated 20th century thinking. And the World Economic Forum had a report on the same thing. The UN is already on record as saying, Property ownership is bad because it requires, in the Vancouver Declaration of the United Nations, as part of sort of the sustainable development agenda, they had a declaration that said owning property is accumulation of wealth, seeks the concentration of wealth, and leads to social inequity. So this is why you'll own nothing and you'll allegedly be happy. But it doesn't mean some. It doesn't mean no one's going to own anything. Certain people are going to own anything, and I go into the book there. Equity asset firms buying up real estate in all our major cities as people go bankrupt due to COVID lockdowns. And then beyond that, America, there's a worry over a Chinese land monopoly of farmland. They're gobbling up U.S. farmland, China. And here's the kicker. They're not the number one farmland owner. Bill Gates is. We actually have competition. This is so it's good old competition. You don't have to worry about a monopoly because Bill Gates, according to NBC News, has beaten the Chinese. He's now America's single largest farmland owner, and he's not a benign farmland owner. His stated goal is to make synthetic beef the standard and end meat eating and propose this lab-grown fake meat that everyone's pushing, including the World Economic Forum. They're also heavily, and I can't emphasize the word heavily, pushing insect eating as a replacement protein. So the world is transforming. It's happening right before our eyes with rapid speed. It's no longer a dark, shadowy thing that may or may not happen in the future. Well, Mark, there's so much here and and, uh, so many things that are concerning. It's like this is a multi-front war and we don't even know where to start. But let's talk about land ownership. As, As conservative people, we obviously agree that people should be able to buy and sell land. But how do we how do we fight back and what is the logic behind fighting a Bill Gates and his attempt to buy up all the farmland and also China. Do we, do we ban foreign ownership in United States land? Do we tell people there's a limit? What, what should we be doing about those things? I have a chapter in the book about politically left people who've been red-pilled and have come over and are now, they no longer believe left-right paradigm. They believe in tyranny versus freedom. This includes Naomi Wolf, former yes. Clinton-Gore advisor, who was shocked. She would never voted for Biden if she knew he was for lockdowns and mask mandates. Mm-hmm. It includes the actor Russell Brand, socialist Hollywood actor Russell Brand, who's now the Jimmy Dore, who used to be on Young Turks, Bill Maher even. So here's what I would say to this. It's a great question, and it's something that I think the answer has to be. You've got to look at it in terms of national interest. And my own political evolution, to be fair, I, if I go back to the 90s, you know, I'm like, oh, free trade and the NAFTA, world trade, this is the way it is, globalization. You know, the, whatever brings the consumer the cheapest product is what we need, and that's the way capitalism works. 
I no longer believe that. I've evolved, and here's how I've evolved. I believe those trade agreements gutted out the U.S., helped to continue to gut out the U.S. industrial base. And if you remember at the time, everyone said, oh, if we give China all this economic growth and prosperity, they'll become more like us. We'll be able to transform them into a Western nation. Mm-hmm. Well, essentially the opposite happened. China <laughs> gutted our industrial base, and then now we're becoming more like them. We copied them with the COVID lockdowns. We're following their social credit system. To answer your question now directly, yes, I think we have to have as a national interest, because one of the things about the World Economic Forum, one of the things about the United Nations Sustainable Development Agenda, one of the things about the, all these other groups that have similar agendas, Council on Foreign Relations, Bilderberg, is they don't like national sovereignty. They want a global response to just about everything. That's why climate change was their perfect response, where COVID was much better than climate change, because here it is, a global virus, we need a global mm. response. Anything we can do to promote national sovereignty at this point, so absolutely, North, North Dakota is now fighting Chinese buying up farmland, and actually it's near a lot of military installations as well, but you have to have national rules about food, water, your critical resources, energy, food, water, transportation supplies, it can't be farmed out to potentially hostile regimes. We've been down that road, a la 1970s, relying on OPEC for oil. And we know how to get around this stuff. We have to, there has to be a way, we have to be able, as a country, to limit Chinese influence, even, even private equity asset, because at some point, a free market capitalist system can't survive under heavy monopoly. So I'm now championing what Teddy Roosevelt championed, and that is breaking up the big companies. And I think Facebook has to be broken up, Twitter, a lot of these big tech companies. And I know it might sound like Bernie Sanders at times, but this is, I think, the evolution a lot of free market conservatives make, because without a level playing field, this isn't working. The Shilling Show Unleashed podcast with Mark Morano will continue in just a moment. Support this podcast online at shillingshow.com. Borderhawk.news is a one-stop shop with the latest news about immigration, nationalism, and globalism. The Borderhawk staff daily curates immigration news stories and in the fashion of the Drudge Report, updates the site with cutting-edge content and original first-class commentary. Borderhawk.news highlights national and international media reports, tweets and nuggets buried in local news blurbs, polls, video clips, and policy research. Borderhawk is pro-legal immigration, pro-rule of law, but against an unsecure border as countless Americans have suffered violence at the hands of criminal illegal aliens. And an increasing number of Americans are concerned about how mass migration affects their daily life. Borderhawk.news will remain on the forefront of the immigration issue with a buffet of info to read, evaluate, and share. Bookmark Borderhawk.news. Add them on social media at News on Twitter. Chilling Show Unleashed. We continue now with Mark Morano and his new book, The Great Reset, Global Elites and the Permanent Lockdown here on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. So let's go a little bit deeper into COVID-19 because you dispel some of the popular myths, I'll call them, the mainstream media has spread. Let's start off with masks. We were told to wear masks. I immediately 
brought a lawsuit against the governor of Virginia. Uh, we were not successful because of a local judge who didn't like me very much, but I tried. Uh, what's the truth about masks, Mark? I mean, the bottom line is mask mandates have never worked. They were never part of any public health plan pre-COVID. And even Lord Fauci and his Surgeon General, Jerome Adams, openly said, don't wear a mask. It was never part of it. The week that they started imposing these, the month, New England Journal of Medicine actually had a commentary out with all these epidemiologists basically saying, Mass mandates don't work. They don't even work in hospitals. Masks don't work against infectious viruses. And these are cloth masks you're talking about. They were forced to recant that. In the New England Journal of Medicine, these authors, within like a month, they had to recant it in order to stay in good standing because cancel culture came to them once it shifted. World Health Organization, even into, I believe, May of 2020, was still telling you masks had no impact. Don't worry about masks. And then they got the memo. They had to all be on the same page. I, in the book, I detail mass studies going back to the 1970s, and it showed that even in hospitals, they do not prevent. Now, the idea of a mask, especially a cloth mask, is if you are actively sick, coughing, sneezing, they can be of a, some assistance in stopping the large droplets if you're coughing and sneezing and you're around people. And as a courtesy, it makes sense. But if you are asymptomatic, that's where it becomes completely irrelevant. Now, since this time, there's been more studies and allegedly claiming that you know, the N95 masks are, can be used as one person and they do cut down significantly if worn properly, if with no gaps, if you know, you know how to clean them and properly handle them, which is a lot of ifs. But I guess my final analysis is mask mandates absolutely do not work. It's all part of COVID theater. And if you are worried, you can get an N95 and wear that yourself and follow all the procedures. And you might give yourself a little bit of an edge to potentially protect yourself. But the idea of you forcing this on someone else is bonkers. The idea of it being forced on school children, the least affected, the least spreading was insane. But that's where the teachers union were. That's where the school boards were. And, I, and an interesting note in the book is, because of these lockdowns and COVID mandates and COVID vaccine mandates, there's a civil rights uh, activist in the book who actually says, this is the first time that middle America, non-minority, essentially white people were able to feel what this kind of overhanded government, in a, in a way it was almost like a segregation. Like if you got the vaccine or you wore your mask, you were treated one way. If you didn't, you were that. And they likened it to skin color. So it was an interesting analogy how, Americans got to feel what it was like, even though it was minor by comparison. I'm not comparing that, but the, the person who wrote this analysis was a left winger. So the mask mandate was absolutely pure COVID theater, made no sense. And people were just meant to divide each other and fight it out. And then, of course, the Biden administration doubled down on both the masks and the vaccine every time there was pushback because we are the, the people who are not complying were most likely the threats to democracy anyway. We should talk a little bit more about the so-called vaccines. There's been a lot of information come out yes. recently from very reliable sources that not only is there no efficacy here, but also that they were very dangerous and even perhaps caused death thousands, if not scores of thousands of people. And this is a sad legacy. I mean, Donald Trump rushed this vaccine through. Mm -hmm. Donald Trump believed Neil Ferguson, the epidemiologist model from London, who came up with the 20 plus million dead unless we lock down and unless we find a vaccine. And so Donald Trump to this day will go out and tell people that I saved 20 million lives with this vaccine. We it's completely not any basis. In fact, the, the, the key with this vaccine is this was a crappy product 
rushed to market on a lick and a prayer and a hope, and it completely, utterly failed. Even the claims now, you know, originally it was not supposed to allow transmission. And then, and they're still making, you can still see ads on TV and everything. It will stop the worst effects and make it very minor. Now they're finding the newest studies on these vaccines are it actually makes it higher death toll, more severe than people who didn't have it. This vaccine, because it was a campaign cause, because it was a political weapon, created the biggest lies coming out of public health, that natural immunity was essentially no good and that even if you just had it, you should get the shot again and you need all the boosters and children should start getting it. And this is the most wonderful thing. And if you said anything different, you were crushed. It's known as a leaky vaccine. I mean, the vaccines have been an utter, absolute disaster, but they were successful in one important, two important regards. They gave power to public health bureaucracies to impose unprecedented draconian vaccine mandates on people. Just here in Washington, D.C., until about three weeks ago, the mayor was demanding all kids show up with the vaccine unless you had to go through an exemption process. Now they've delayed that till January. There's absolutely no science behind that. But here's the, the other thing is besides empowering unelected public health bureaucrats, the pharmaceutical industry. Imagine coming up with a crappy product, but then having every government in the world and every international organization mandate it, promote it, and not allow any critique of it, not allow anyone to sue you for bad side effects. It's a phenomenal because you're under a you know emergency declaration of these vaccines. This was one of the greatest swindles of the whole COVID. And I, was, I never even considered getting the vaccine. A, I would much rather have that than any long-term effect for a vaccine. And B, I didn't trust a single person promoting the vaccine at that point. So this became a partisan divide. And my hat goes off to anyone who got the vaccine. because I, I'm not convinced it's helped you one bit. And I think the potential long-term effects are bad. Mark, you referenced earlier some of the restrictions, but I want to get deeper into what happened to churches and they were told you can't sing. Of yeah. course, the schools shut down for some for two years. Small businesses closed because they're not essential while the Walmarts and the other big ones stayed open. Uh, this was, again, an attack on our capitalist system and on our freedoms. Yeah, it was an attack on our Constitution. It was an unprecedented imposition of what you would call a new normal. It was a psychological operation. A psychop was imposed upon us. And what they did is they used these emergency powers, bypassed democracy, a la China, and this was government violating uh, your right for religion, and they shut down churches. And not only in some countries like Canada, they would send in armed police officers to break up. There was a video of synagogues trying to meet and police coming in, and, and they've arrested pastors. I mean, some countries really went to town on it. The U.S. was less so, depending on where you live, but it was an amazing sight to watch churches, gyms, schools, small businesses, weddings, funerals, operations, hospital visits, doctor's appointments, all canceled, governors, mayors, and and any other official in between, without any vote of anyone, without any democracy, could demand stay-at-home orders, curfews, ban on travel. This was not in America. This was East Germany. This was Cuba. And this was only supposed to be for two weeks to flatten the curve. So this happened. As you mentioned, you couldn't go to church, but you could go to Walmart. Does that make sense? This was the greatest transfer of wealth from poor and middle class to the wealthy. And in my chapter on this, I actually have a whole chapter just on the wealth transfer. We created... I can't remember the exact number in my head because I don't have it in front of me, but it was like something in the 20s, new billionaires every other day. I mean, billionaire creation was through the roof. Many of them tied to pharmaceuticals. Again, 
who wouldn't want to make a crappy product and have every government in the world mandate everyone take it and buy large volumes, which, by the way, they ended up destroying them in multiple ways. There's no demand for these vaccines. They're destroying millions of doses. And in Africa, where they were the least vaccinated with no penetration, they had the, you can't even tell COVID went through. They didn't even notice it. And it's puzzling epidemiologists because you know, Africa's got a generally younger population, but they didn't need the vaccine. So there was all this whole thing about vaccine equity and like, I'm not going to take the vaccine because Africans can't get it. I'm going to be like, oh, great. Well, that's, they offered it to Africa and no one wanted it. So, so this is a, a product that no one wanted. What they did with this, the lockdowns is this empowered big tech corporate chains and it destroyed. There were estimates that 60% of small mom and pop restaurants in New York City will shutter permanently in all the other major cities. And they love this. This is part of the Great Reset. This is part of the globalist vision. Why? Because it's the small independent operators who are most likely to oppose the woke Great Reset agenda. They're not going to go along with it. It's the corporate CEOs and corporate board members and companies that are going to cower in fear at critical race, at transgender, at climate, at the Green New Deal activists. They're going to go along with it all because they don't want to face cancel culture. They don't want to ruin their careers. Let's bring up the Netherlands again. Those farmers, 11,200 farms that are being shut, chiefly they are small family-run farms that go back generations. They're not shutting the Bill Gates, China-owned, equity asset, big corporate agribusiness farms. No, they can absorb the costs and afford all, all the modifications needed to comply with the climate net zero, a great reset agenda. It's the small people. But as a bonus of getting rid of these small non-compliant people, can, they know they have control of the bigger organizations. This is why, and I've tried to explain this to people, you're ExxonMobil funded. Like, why in the F would ExxonMobil give me a cent for my, you know, my climate change skepticism? ExxonMobil supports carbon taxes, supports the U.N. Paris Agreement. The first thing Rex Tillerson did as Trump's Secretary of State was go to the Arctic and sign some United Nations Arctic Climate Declaration. They love big government mandates big government regulations because they can absorb the cost. They have the most expensive lawyers. They have the most expensive lobbyists. They can influence the politicians. They know it's going to crush all their competitors. And by the way, in the energy business, many of the smaller independent fracking organizations, which were part of America's fracking boom, went under. And guess what happened to them? They were bought out by larger conglomerates. So what the whole lockdowns did was concentrate wealth and power higher up the food chain. It's, it's a concentration of wealth and power to fewer and fewer people. That's the best way I can think of to explain it. And they want to keep this party going. And this is the key here. The Associated Press has reported Joe Biden is set to declare a national climate emergency. Remember, we're still under a COVID emergency. Biden keeps extending it. I think it's extended until next spring at the current. And they'll extend it again. But Biden was going to do this in July. They decided to wait till after the midterm. So expect it November, December of this year. This will give Joe Biden 130 new wartime executive powers under a, co a climate emergency. It will also give mayors, governors, and we already know what their plans are. More thermostat controls, car-free days in the cities, even shut down gas stations. This is going to be about possibly going after meat eating. Whatever any mayor, governor decides will save the climate and they'll have the power. If a politician like that who thinks he's saving the world has that kind of executive temporary emergency powers in quotes, 
there's no telling how far they'll go. Well, we have a pretty good idea. We can look at California uh, and New Zealand and Australia and Canada, but it, particularly California, it was bonkers. If your neighbors ratted you out for having too many people at a backyard barbecue, snitches get rewards. They would actually be rewarded for ratting you out. And then you could have the utility companies in collusion with the government come in and shut off your water or your electricity for violating the COVID mandates. This is the world we're living in. This is the new normal. This is where the Great Reset wants to go. It's based on a Chinese-style form of social control, where every aspect of your life is going to be um, under scrutiny, track and trace. The interesting thing is, unlike tyrannies of old, you don't need secret police, standing armies, barbed wire fences, concentration camps. They can deperson you at the moment you're detected as being a dissident. And what I mean by that is they can take away your email, your text, and your website, your social media apps, your ability to communicate, and they can take away access to your own money. We've seen it happen with, and I detail this in the book, countries that have vaccine mandates. If you don't get the vaccine, you lose access to your banking. We saw it happen in Canada under Justin Trudeau. He declared the the freedom convoy against the COVID mandates, he declared them essentially domestic terrorists. And so he worked with the bank. The bankers were more than eager to work with the government to literally stop these truckers from having access to their own money. Their bank cards failed to work. And if you dared bake, you know, a cake or made coffee for these, your bank cards wouldn't work. And we had one specter, which I included in the book, I think it was the chief of police in Ottawa was asked, and he said they were going to go after the spouses and kids of these people who, who continued to go against this illegal, you know, being uh, essentially dissidents to the state, enemies of the state. And an analysis I include in the book is this is the kind of things that happened in societies before, but never in what we considered free societies. So that's the Great Reset in, in as many words as I can say it. So, Mark, finally, where's the hope in all of this? If we had the most anti-establishment president probably in history in Donald Trump and he couldn't get his head around this and do the right thing, what's the hope for the rest of us in America going forward? If Donald Trump had not been president and Hillary Clinton was president when COVID hit, I think we would have been in many ways better off. Nothing bad necessarily about Trump, but the idea is I think half of America would have repelled at Hillary Clinton locking down, signing an emergency decree and pushing Anthony Fauci upon us. But because Trump did it and he did it reluctantly and he did it and he was tricked, we now know he was fully tricked by Deborah Burks who wrote her book saying we knew it was a lie when we said 15 days to slow the spread. We just wanted to buy those 15 days because we knew we could extend it and we did whatever we could. I mean, they openly lied and manipulated and deceived Donald Trump. But because it was Donald Trump, Americans initially accepted it. And once we accepted it once, that was it. And by the way, Donald Trump ended his presidency the moment he signed that COVID declaration because that tanked the economy, tanked America's energy. We were energy dominant for the first time since Harry Truman was president in 1952. All of that ended when Donald Trump's signature hit that piece of paper. It allowed for all the COVID theater. It allowed for mail-in ballots. It allowed for no chance of his reelection and tanked the economy. So. Donald Trump paid the price for his, you know, what I consider one of the greatest presidential blunders in 40 years of modern presidency. I defy someone to find a more consequential error than signing the COVID declaration. Having said that, you asked me to hope forward. I believe the way forward is, and I, in the book, I start out in the final chapter, it's called The Great Reject, with Vaclav Klaus, not Klaus Schwab, another, mm -hmm. but Vaclav Klaus, the former president of Czech Republic 
who talks about how the COVID theater in lockdowns was so similar to what he grew up with under communism. He said they didn't want you to congregate under communism. They didn't want you to form large groups. They were afraid of it. He said the same thing happened with COVID. You weren't allowed to get together. They called it social distancing. The communists didn't. But under COVID, they called it social distancing. But the the idea was the same, he said. You couldn't get together because they were afraid you would start coming up with rebellion. And that's what we found. That's what happened in New Zealand, Australia, Canada much more severe and strict than what we saw in the United States. So I detail how, first of all, the Berlin Wall in 1989 didn't come down because the East German government said, oh, 40 years of oppression, that's enough. Let's free the people, tear down this wall. Reagan was right. No, it came down because the people of East Germany no longer gave their consent to live under tyranny. And that comes out in a thousand ways. And one of the ways it comes out under COVID restrictions is angry parents showing up at school boards. This is where I begin the hope and the great reject. They showed up spontaneously, not part of any national or political effort. These were outraged parents at the critical race theory, at transgender agenda, and at COVID theater, the masking as there's kids, the social distancing, the COVID lockdowns, the vax mandates. And parents were willing to get arrested. Parents were willing to get gang tackled. Parents were willing to just show up at these meetings and overrun it. This led to political revolutions. The Democrats lost Virginia due to these parent uprisings. New Jersey almost fell. This freaked the Democratic Party out so much they did focus groups. And I include this in the last chapter. It's in the front, as reported by the New York Times. They found that their own base wanted to return to normal. And so they actually then, once these elections happened and they were in shock, overnight, San Francisco, Philadelphia, New York, Baltimore, Washington, all lifted their vax mandates and mask mandates. And they announced the science has changed. The political science had changed. The rebellion started by angry parents at the lowest, lowest level of politics, the school board level, had led to a national revolution. That's the way you got to handle it. And I also profile Ron DeSantis, and I'm not trying to be partisan or like I have no affiliation with Ron DeSantis, but he was probably the most significant governor. I'm sorry, Christy Nome, no, Texas governor, absolutely not. Uh, Jeff Kemp, even Georgia, was not the leader. What Ron DeSantis did without a Trumpian you know, personality insults, he brought in epidemiologists, he brought in scientists, experts, and he challenged the media, public health authoritarians, clearly, concisely, with peer-reviewed evidence and data and credentialed experts, and he did it every step of the way. And he stared down the media, calling him DeSantis, calling Florida the death state. He did it. He did it regularly, held press conferences. He relished the challenge. He led the way for Republican governors in America to give them cover so that they could start unlocking down their states. We need that kind of leadership. So in future, if you want to know how politicians can fight COVID, literally look no further and study everything Ron DeSantis did. Now, he fumbled at first and allowed the lockdown. A lot of people did. You can forgive people for that, given the mass hysteria. They weren't prepared, although they should have been. I had read the works of Michael Fomento, who I include in my book, uh, who's gone after Fauci, CDC. I knew what had just happened with the Food and Drug Administration and the NIH regarding vaping the year before. I mean, these were illegal black market vapes sold on the street and public health knew this. They knew there was no general danger to the vaping industry, nothing coming from that. It was causing a lung ailment in kids, but they took this opportunity. It was like, this isn't fantastic. 
And so they claimed all vaping should be ceased. And the CDC made these recommendations, despite the fact that we knew precisely early on that these were illegal black market vapes that teens were buying, causing a lung ailment and killing some of them. The general vaping from vape stores was not affected. They knew this, but they said all vaping must stop as a way to get government regulation. They want to make money off of it like they do cigarettes. And actually what ended up happening is cigarette use went up. So by COVID came along, I had known Anthony Fauci from Michael Fermento's works about his dealings with AIDS. I had known what they had just done in uh, vaping and how basically how scummy and how willing to lie they are. And it's how all about getting power and a political agenda and crushing the truth if it's not on narrative. So I was completely opposed to the lockdowns. I did an interview in March of 2020 with a thing called Regulator Watch, where I, I go on and on about everything I just mentioned here. So Donald Trump should have known. I tried to reach out to the Trump administration in March of 2020, telling them, and they said, well, what are we going to do? We're going to be blamed for all these deaths if we don't go along with this. I'm like, you're going to be blamed anyway. And of course, they went along with it. The rest is history. That's where we are. In my book, I tried to make it as comprehensive as possible. I believe it has 80 to 90 pages of footnotes. And it's a, it's a book that gathers the voices from around the world. If you want the most comprehensive overview that's entertaining, opens with a quote from The Twilight Zone and features Bill Maher jokes. I go through the politics. I go through the science. And I really tried to put together an entertaining book. I also have a special focus on climate and energy, about energy lockdowns and climate lockdowns. And I go through all the peer-reviewed studies. 230 medical journals and Harvard and Journal Nature all basically saying we need to lock down next for the climate and we need to use the template of COVID in which to do it. And the public has now been essentially softened up, willing to accept this because they've lived through COVID. We can do the same with climate. Mark, if people want to get a copy of The Great Reset or if they would like to follow your work online, would you tell us how, please? Amazon.com. Uh, I, I bash Amazon, but hey, if they're willing to sell my book, I'm, I'm okay with that. My website is climatedepot.com, climatedepot.com, and on Twitter, I'm at, at climatedepot. And Twitter is a lot of fun because I do a lot of stuff that I don't cover at the website I do at Twitter. So It is a fantastic book and well worth the read. Very important. Mark Morano, thank you for joining us today on the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. That concludes another edition of the Schilling Show Unleashed podcast. Visit us online at shillingshow.com where you can directly support this podcast by clicking on the Patreon banner at the top of the page and making a monthly donation. Your support is essential for the continuation of the Shilling Show Unleashed podcast. Until next time. <laughs>